Welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, showcasing stories from outstanding business people by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar, along with, he's back, Michael Newton of FL. Mike, welcome back. It's been a while. Hey Dan, how you doing? I'm excellent. How are you? Very good, thank you. I want to apologize for our listeners because, uh, you know, we, we like to have our dynamic here, but you were you had a really busy fall. Uh, you were going all around the world. Where, where have you been? I have been, uh, yeah, let's see, I was in uh, Australia for four days on business, uh, three days of travel to four days on the ground. Uh, everybody says, wow, Australia, what did you see? Uh, the inside of a, uh, a boardroom, uh, uh, that would look nice out my window, and that was pretty much it. So that the, the bucket list has not been crossed off for Australia based on that trip. I was in Nashville for a couple of days. I was in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, which was a little more on the personal side, following up a couple of my horses that were uh, were running in the Breeders' Cup. So, you know, uh, I uh, very much enjoy uh, I very much enjoy the, tra- the, the travel, but, uh, you know, it, it's starts to take its toll not as young as i used to be you know Dan. well you just you look just fine mike you seem vivacious today yes i look great on radio <laughs> all right let's uh, dig into it and first let's deal with town halls for perhaps leaders of organizations who you know might be absent once in a while maybe occasionally they want to call a town hall connect reconnect with their uh, workforces and uh, sometimes they can go awry so it, recently google had one of these and they got a lot of pushback from employees because employees frankly, Mike, are more outspoken these days than they were before. Yeah, they're definitely outspoken. We're also starting to hit that crossroads of uh, of post-COVIDian uh, uh, acceptance. And, and whether that is from the employer perspective or whether that's from the employee perspective, uh, you know, we're starting to see a recession on the horizon. You know, the, you can argue with some people whether it's here or not, depending, I guess, where you sit in the, in the conversation. But, you know, uh, people have complained that, you know, productivity is down. There's a freeze on hiring. We're cutting costs. Uh, we're asking uh, we're asking people to do more with the same or even less. So, yeah, we're, we're starting to see pushback. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of times uh, during COVID, the town halls were used as kind of keep, keep people up to date. What's going on? It was, you know, used as a method of communication and transparency. Uh, I think now we're starting to see as we as as people are, are looking into an economy that's starting to toughen, they're starting to see some cuts going on financially at, the, at their business. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, the employees are starting to feel a little insecure, a little a little less boisterous, uh, you know, on, on, on how safe things are and are now starting to worry. And, and as part of the worrying, one of the things we've learned through COVID is speak up and say what you have to say. So, you know, if you, th- th- this whole example coming from, uh, you know, Google's town hall, um, you know, it was an interesting line. He said, uh, you know, I remember when Google was small and scrappy, he said, fun didn't always, we shouldn't always equate fun with money. I think you can walk into a hard working startup and people may be having fun and it shouldn't always equate to money. Well, you know, that 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 sounds to me like, you know, the beginning of I'm going to give you stock options and I'm not going to pay you off the bat. Uh, you know, the reality is, is we are we are seeing a shift and coming out of COVID is is certainly starting to, uh, you know, that, that that whole post COVID integration is begging, you know, each of us uh, to have this question is, you know, where's this realism? Where's the perspective? Of it? Where's it going to lie and where's it going to end? And, and I think we're starting to to see uh, we're starting to see a little bit of a of a shakeup coming on both sides of the equation. 
So we have employees pushing back some cases, and uh, depending on the boss, some bosses, if you're Elon Musk, maybe they're pushing back hard. But generally, I think the advice is you don't want to push back. You want to increase your empathy. And uh, according to Inc.com here, you want to lead with heart. So they offer four words to uh, entrepreneurs who uh, to keep in mind as they're trying to lead with more empathy. One is hire people with heart. Uh, two is connect. Uh, three is empower them, and four is inspire them. So it's things that are very motivational, I think, is the trend here. So we're, we're seeing CEOs maybe slip more into a coach mode. Yeah, I think that's the that's the objective. Uh, you know, if you've been around a long time managing, it's awfully it's awfully difficult to go from being non-empathetic to being empathetic overnight. Um, what we're starting to see, uh, there's a couple of things. I mean, this goes back to this was a classic leadership book called you know Lead from the Heart. Uh, you know, and 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 it was kind of revolutionary and perceived as very fluffy. And you know, most of the cynical managers, uh, you know, amongst us said, oh, you know, yeah, it's, don't be nice to workers. They got a job to do. You got to come down a little bit harder you gotta you, know, you gotta maintain ownership to to what's going on um interestingly enough uh mark crowley just published a second edition of lead from the heart and and it's uh, it's subtitled the transformational leadership for the 21st century and it once again brings this whole heart discussion into management not, not saying it's a you know it, it, it's anything other than there is something about soft there is something about the soft component to managing people and you know they're they're now starting to create uh, some very interesting breakthroughs and and information that upends really the way we've traditionally been taught to manage because there actually is some correlation between the brain and the heart and and how we do things and you know he he outlines the emerging science that shows how the human heart and brain are connected uh and you know and and with the heart sending more signals to the brain than the brain actually sends back so you know you follow that logic you say well you know boom 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 the brain is saying you know it's logical it's it, it, if if you're going to fall into that uh thought process of leaving the heart out you you're, you're certainly missing it now you know a lot of people are going to turn around and say yes that's that's the that's to serve the gen the, the gen zens and the millennials and and, and bring them up cuz you know they need uh, instant gratification on uh, on 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 the job that they're doing uh, yeah but you know what? That doesn't mean it's still wrong. It doesn't mean it's worth doing 95% of the time. But I think it's uh, it, it's very interesting that we need to start, especially the older employers and the older managers, start recognizing that empathy and heart and understanding go a long way in getting motivation out of, uh, out of certainly out of younger workers. Yeah, positive reinforcement works. I mean, uh, there have been many studies on this. Here's one that's kind of silly. Um, this is from a company called Good Hire. A, uh, they're an employment services company, and they tried to, to make the different types of bosses. So this, these are the types, Mike, and, and let me know if you fall into one of the types. There's the grinder boss, motivator boss, ghost, narcissist, want to be your BFF boss, accountable but caring boss and of course one sounds bad the volcano boss probably you don't want to be one of those yeah no I, you look know, it, 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 it it's a kind of it, it's a fun exercise to go through and funny enough i i, I cut and paste the article and I sent it to all my uh, partners and managers and said, where do you fall into this? And told them it was rhetorical. They didn't have to tell me what they thought. But, uh, you know, I, I dare say there's some days where we may find ourselves over the course of a week falling into, <laughs> falling into many categories. You like to think at the end of the day, you're a motivator and then you're pushing people forward. But I think it also depends on the industry that you're in. And I think it also depends on, uh, you know, your upbringing. It's, uh, it's a very different, uh, it's a very different generational discussion at this point. 
And speaking of types of bosses, this other study that was published in Harvard Business Review zeroes in on the types of employee days. So what kind of day you're having at work. And they've, they've studied this. And so they, they describe the typical workday as just that typical. So about a third of workdays fall under typical. Uh, just less than a third, about 29%, fall under ideal, where you're sort of getting maximum uh, autonomy and also maximum, uh, maximum efficiency. Crisis days, about one in five days, fall under that. Disengaged days, 10% when you're kind of out of it. Maybe you're kind of lethargic, maybe you have some health issues going on. And then uh, even less, 8%, so the smallest category of days, that's called toxic. So when you're going through conflicts or, or drama at the office. Yeah, I, you know, I, I really like to know where some people get their funding for some of these studies because uh, I got a good chuckle out of it again. Uh, you know, how scientific it is, I, I went out, I'm not going to take it to the bank. But it is an interesting exercise when when you consider uh, trying to create motiva motivation, but also trying to get people to understand that, you know, it's not always going to be warm and fuzzy. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, we many times we have a workforce that just wants it to go nice and smooth. And the reality is, is it's just not the way life is. You know, and, and and at the end of the day, when you take, you know, crisis days, disengaged days and toxic days, which, you know, to me are pretty much on the negative side of things, you're talking over, you're almost 40% of your days based on this study. So, you know, two days a week. Uh, I think some of us can empathize with that statement. Uh, I'm sure some of us would like it only to be two days a week. <laughs> But there, there is no doubt that, uh, you know, the, the, the type of work day and uh, and how that affects your performance is, is is you know, is right there. I mean, you look at the crisis day and, and, and that's probably, you know, that's one day a week. And, and I don't think that that's an unreasonable statement is you walk in, all you do is put out fires. You start with a list in the morning. You, you, you never get to what you wanted to do. You leave at the end of the day. You look at yourself in the mirror and go, what did I do today? What did I do today? All it did is I feel like I was running around putting out fires. So, yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of a, a an interesting conversation from a realism perspective. And I and I think in the the post pandemic world that we're living in, the consequences of the last two categories, you know, the the disengaged and the toxic or the negative and toxic days are more frequent and frequent and potentially more harmful to productivity, employee retention, culture, and underlying DNA of an organization. So while this may be a little bit of fun in 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 an event, there is definitely you know as an owner and as a, as a as a manager how do you try and reduce those negative categories because that's going to have a really long term effect on your culture and, and and your hiring i mean nobody wants to walk in and work for a job where you know 80% of the days are toxic let me ask you real quick how do you diffuse a toxic situation at work as a boss do you send someone home do you take a time out a private area Really, I, I, you know, I, I love that question because it feeds right into a conversation I had the other day with millennials and, and, and how they were brought up. And, you know, the sense of accountability was you're going to go to your room and have a timeout. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really not interested in trying to do that from a business perspective at the end of the day. Uh, I think realism, I think keeping your cool as a manager, uh, I think that ability to, to be very direct and honest, but maintain control, you know, all of those things we learn in emotional intelligence uh, really come into play and self-regulation I think when you're when you're dealing with a crisis is massive in all of this is is really don't let it get the better of you and I always I, I don't like to be beaten I'm very competitive so I don't like when an environment has finally gotten through to me uh, I wouldn't lie there's a few times where I may blow up on purpose but that's more more worthy of an academy award than it uh, than it really is a a lack of self-awareness at the end of the day and just remember your ideal workday is you know two to three days away so just hang in there 
My idea, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't even know where to go with that concept. I mean, we can go to, we're going to start working half days. We're going to have three people working two days. Let, let, let's, let's not go there. And, and yeah, you're, you're, you're talking at it from a statistical standpoint. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's a whole bunch of things that are going to start in the next couple of years to kind of work its way through in terms of what the the eventual workday is. If you think what we're dealing now is what the future is, there's still a lot of changes to come, folks. All right, we're going to talk about a really innovative product coming up next. Mike, talking about productivity, I mean, this will increase productivity. It's a stop smoking aid. That's also an app uh, and a uh, sort of an AI-powered vaporizer. And it's uh, really trying to optimize the uh, the process of quitting smoking. Laurent Laferriere is co-founder of the startup Ditch Lab. Laurent, welcome to CJD. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So you're on a mission to help people quit smoking, and uh, you're doing it with some tech. Tell me about Ditch Labs. Yeah, so Ditch Labs is a medical technology uh, in the addiction space. So we're solving the leading cause of preventable death, which is smoking. Uh, so we've developed a medical nicotine vaporizer that's able to precisely dose the amount of nicotine delivered and that reduces the doses automatically uh, through a prescribed treatment. And the device is paired to an app that kind of acts as a psychological self-help program to help with the cravings, uh, what triggers, obviously, the um, the triggers to want to smoke. And um, so it's a, it's a, we're the first solution that actually addresses the physiological addiction to nicotine through what we call nicotine replacement therapy uh, and the psychological aspect of nicotine as well, uh, nicotine addiction as well through uh, our mobile app. So I grew up, unfortunately, a secondhand smoker. I've really never smoked in my life, but I've certainly lived the secondhand side of things. Um, I can see the effects uh, of what, what smoking itself does on family, on family members. Um, maybe just walk us through a little bit some of, I mean, obviously there's a massive cost to society with regard to smoker-related related illnesses um, and maybe some of the social sides to it as well. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, smoking is the leading cause of preventable death. Just in Canada, it's about 50,000 deaths per year. In the US, it's you know 10 times that, so half a million a year. Uh, the economic burden is huge. In Canada, it's about $17 billion a year that's spent on uh, treating smoking-related illness. Um, you know, cigarette smoke causes pretty much every cancer out there. I think it's responsible for 13 cancers, 13 different kinds of, of uh, cancers. So it affects every organ in the body. Uh, so very, very detrimental, obviously, to the health and to the economy as well. So I think for us, it's it's exactly what motivates us. It's the scale of the problem and the scope of the problem. And to give you kind of a kind of idea globally, it's it's 1.3 billion people who smoke. So you know, in Canada, it's it's only 15% of the population. So we we were kind of successful getting those numbers down from about 40, 50% to 15% now. But uh, it's still a very, very important problem in, in other parts of the world as well. So uh, we're excited about the, the scale that our solution can have uh, in the world as well. So maybe walk us through the solution. I mean, a, you know, we, we talked very briefly in the intro in terms of what it is and then the, the AI component to it and everything else. But dumb it down for us. I mean, what is, is this? A, is this a vape? Is this, you know, how does the, how does how does, how does it work? Yeah, good question. So I'll, I'll kind of backtrack a bit. You know, smokers are, are very desperate to quit smoking. It's about 68% of smokers who want to quit, but it's only 7% who succeed. So there's a clear like unmet need here. And being desperate, I think smokers are looking for better solutions. So the product uh, products that you know, usually they're used to quit smoking, like a, a nicotine replacement therapy, so like the, the patch, the gums. Uh, there's also pharmacotherapies like uh, Champix, for example, or, or Zyban or Wellbutrin. So 
all those solutions have very low success rates, anywhere from five to 20%. Uh, so what what actually happened, you know, since five, six years ago is we've seen the rise of electronic cigarettes and those devices are now the most popular tool to quit smoking. So it's more popular than, you know, any patch gums, any pharmacotherapy, uh, because they mimic the experience and they deliver nicotine very, very efficiently. Uh, so it's very similar to smoking a traditional cigarette uh, with obviously less consequences on on uh, on health. However, those devices bring other problems. We've seen, you know, underage use of those devices. We've seen recently in the U.S. Juul being banned for that specific reason. The toxicological profile as well of those devices is unknown. Maybe it's known from, you know, the tobacco industry, but uh, the scientific literature, it's, it's rather unknown. So we decided, well, let's take this, you know, popularity and let's take this device and actually try to reinvent it and bring it into the medical world, which is, in our opinion, the way it should have been marketed uh, at first. Uh, so what we created is, is a, a nicotine vaporizer. It resembles an electronic cigarette, but like I mentioned before, it's, it's able to very precisely dose the amount of nicotine delivered, and it reduces the doses automatically to wean the user off nicotine. Um, so we have kind of, if I'm trying to dumb it down as much as I can, we have di uh, two different uh, liquids inside our, our vaporizer, one containing nicotine, but one we call the placebo liquid. And by you know varying one liquid or the other, we're able to vary the doses very precisely. And that's what allows us to do the gradual nicotine reduction and the titration. But what's also amazing is that uh, this device is able to gather and collect a lot of data on the consumption, whether it is you know, the time of day the nicotine is consumed, obviously the quantity, but we have very granular data about even the depth of inhalation that comes out of the device. So we know when the user is inhaling more deeply on the device, which could you know, potentially mean that there's a craving happening. And we can address that inside the, the mobile application with a breathing exercise or a meditation exercise. So that's why I mentioned it's really the first solution that addresses both physiological and psychological components of the addiction. It's very interesting. I want to dig into the data in a, in a few minutes. But first, uh, just on the on vaping in general, you know, going back 10 years, I remember some vapors were, were telling me that they used vaping to quit smoking and they were swearing by it. And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, shouldn't you do this in a medical context? Is that what you're doing here? Are you, are you trying? Exactly. To yeah. Our, our system is so it's not commercialized yet. You know, we're a medical technology company, so we've only been working on that um, specific project for almost three years now, which is it seems like a long time. But in the medical technology field, it's it's rather short. Uh, so we have a whole bunch of validation to do to prove to Health Canada and the FDA that we're safe and effective to treat the nicotine addiction. Um, but yes, what we're seeing with uh, electronic cigarettes actually is that smokers who use them to quit smoking actually just end up staying addicted to nicotine through uh, the electronic cigarette. So it's a great alternative to traditional cigarettes, but it's not a nicotine addiction treatment like ours. So I guess, you, you know, if you, if you can't wean yourself off 100%, the scaling back to the quantities in and of itself is a significant reduction in nicotine and a significant effect on or positive effect on the body. So I may not be able to wipe it out completely, So, but I certainly should be able to bring it down to a dramatic amount. Is, is there a significant health effect just to the massive amount of reduction, even if I get it down to a minimal level? For, for sure, for sure. Um at Ditch, we try to prone as much as we can harm reduction because we've had such a, 
you know, binary view of addiction, whereas mm -hmm. like, oh, you succeed or you fail to quit smoking, right? There's nothing in between. But having someone reduce his or her cigarette consumption from 25 cigarettes a day to five cigarettes a day is a huge accomplishment that we should celebrate, right? So um, we're trying to kind of have this view of, uh, of, of addiction where we allow people to reduce. And yes, there's huge health benefits related to that. That's for sure. I mean, there's no doubt also, you know, you look at all of this and you say that, you know, there's a social component to smoking and there certainly is a push from the the medical profession as well as many proponents of of cutting down on smoking that the social and and, and the dollar cost associated with, uh, with smoking should maybe not be borne by society. Should it be borne by an individual, right, at the end of the day? So if you've chosen to smoke all your life and you end up in the hospital and there's a big cost associated with it, I mean, we're, we're I'm not saying we're going to get to that position, but it's certainly been a, a topic of conversation. Um, you know, where does that fit into this whole exercise? I mean, where... You know... Yeah, so it's kind of the ethical conversation, I guess. Exactly, day, exactly. So. And I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to weigh my words here, but uh, in our opinion, and you know, the World Health Organization clearly said that uh, nicotine addiction is a chronic disease. So we have to view it as with the disease lens, not uh, it's the smoker's fault. Uh, someone who's addicted to nicotine, it's extremely difficult for some people to quit. And as a society, I think we've tried pretty much everything right now. Like we've lowered, we've increased the prices on on tobacco products. We've uh, essentially um, banned any marketing efforts. Obviously, the branding on any tobacco product is not existent anymore. So we, we've done as a society, I think, the necessary work to bring those numbers down. But what we're seeing right now is that we're left with about 15% of uh, the population that's still addicted to nicotine. And the, bird, the economic burden is still huge. So we need to find new ways. And Experts agree that, you know, kind of the next frontier is to be able to develop treatments that are 100% personalized based on, you know, the um, multifactorial aspect of the addiction. And that's exactly where we fit in at Ditch. We're going to get to some of those uh, factors in a few minutes, talking about data, what kinds of data points you're collecting and what kind of tools, uh, all kinds of tools you're going to include in your app to help people to quit smoking. But let's talk about tech and so, Laurent, tell me about some of the data that you collect or the data points. What are some of the different AI tools you're using to help people uh, quit in a well-rounded way? Yeah, so our plan is to collect like, a bunch of data points, uh, namely related to the consumption of nicotine. So anything related to the quantity of nicotine consumed, if the, uh, the, the, the time of day as well, when the nicotine is consumed, the time between each inhalation as well, because we see a lot of, uh, there's a lot of behavioral components related to, to the, the time between the inhalations. If someone is taking, you know, 10 different inhalations in a very short period of time versus someone is taking 10 inhalations within an hour, uh, it's a very different behavior. Uh, so we're analyzing that and collecting the data based on that. We also... For example, the time of day is very important because if someone wakes up during the night to consume nicotine, um, you know we know that it's a much uh, more severe addiction versus someone who doesn't wake up during the night to consume nicotine. So these are all you know consumption data points that are very interesting, and we have also like a whole bunch of sensors in our device. Uh, one that I'm particularly proud of that we have a patent on is is an, a, a pressure sensor that's able to track the depth of inhalation, like I mentioned before. So we're able to detect cravings when someone is inhaling more deeply on the device. So again, we're trying to kind of bridge the gap between having the consumption data that's it's very important, right? When you go to the pharmacy to quit smoking, they ask you how many cigarettes you smoke per day. 
And that's you know the consumption aspect of it. Obviously, we know the nicotine that's consumed, but we want to push it even further and get behavior data. So with the inhalation sensor, for example. And what that allows us to do is we obviously plug in an AI. So it's reinforcement learning that is able to um, essentially assess the patient and personalize the treatment. So for example, someone who wakes up during the night, uh, if we, if the AI understands that pushing an article based on what should I do when I wake up during the night and have a nicotine craving, and that works for that specific person, can we uh, find another patient that's similar and push an article as well? Because we know it's going to increase success rates in the end. So we can train an algorithm to be able to kind of personalize the whole experience uh, obviously keeping in mind that we have a, we want to have a higher success rate at the end of the day. It's very interesting that the, you know, listening to you talk, there's, you know, I can see the societal effect. I can see the medical effect. I mean, how do we take this beyond uh, a societal, you know, smoking versus non-smoking, uh, you know, trying to cut down and actually turn what you're trying to do and you're doing and you're accomplishing and, and how do we get that into a medical formula? How do we cross that barrier from, hey, buy my product because, you know, it, it's going to help you stop smoking to an actual treatment? Yeah. So, you know, we're an actual treatment. We're prescribed by a physician. So that's that's a choice we made very early on in the business is we know that there can be some sort of association with electronic cigarettes and every electronic cigarette is, you know, backed by a, a tobacco company. So we wanted to make sure to stay away from that as much as possible. And and one you know great path was to be uh, prescription only. So our whole you know treatment is followed by a physician, which is, you know, brings it into the medical world. But we can go even further. Like what we're developing right now is is we're essentially gaining uh, an understanding of addiction uh, and a broad understanding of addiction, not just nicotine addiction, because many addictions, any substance addictions are very similar. Uh, so we're able to better understand uh, exactly what the triggers are, how to beat cravings, and, and this can be... Um, translated into other types of addiction, like opioid addiction, for example. Uh, and the other part is that we're developing a proprietary drug delivery mechanism that can also be used for other substances. Like we saw, again, with the opioid crisis is, you know, doctors were prescribing pills and those pills can be abused very easily. So when you think of prescribing a substance that in, in its essence is addictive, you need some sort of mechanism to be, to make sure that the user is not going to abuse it, right? So that's exactly what we've built in our in our ditch pen, which is our vaporizer. So it can be translated to other other addictions as well. Yeah, the you know the, the our societal changes associated with addiction are slowly starting to phase in. I mean, you know, they they lock everybody up and throw away the key mentality of the war on drugs that you know found its way into the '80s and '90s uh, is hopefully slowly starting to be replaced by some logical treatment of uh, of, of drug addiction as 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 a, as a medical crisis and not as a choice. At the end of the day, I mean, you can see the same thing with alcohol. I would I would only assume that the changes that we're starting to see, the more we can put medical science behind the curbing component of this, the more we bring to the forefront the reality of that addiction is a problem and it's not a choice. Oh, of course, of course, and we're, and we're seeing it. You know, just because the just the pandemic created uh, an increase, a substantial increase in, in the consumption of of drugs or alcohol, uh, we're seeing it with the opioid crisis it affects families regular families you know maybe in the 1880s and 90s i wasn't i wasn't around i'm born in 1990 but 
you know, maybe Thank, you thanks for seeing... sharing that and making me feel old. <laughs> maybe it was more uh, uh, what you you know would typically uh, imagine as someone using drugs, right? Now it's it's the regular person that just uh, had a had an accident, had uh, had to manage their pain, and uh, was prescribed um, opioids to to manage their pain, and they got addicted to it. So um, I think our view is slowly changing, but it. it for sure needs to change uh, much, much quicker. So you're still at the early stage. You're still at the clinical. How do you mainstream this? How do you get this to market in a much larger uh, process? And and what are the steps you have to go through in order to get this approved in order to, to, to move forward? Yeah, it's a very long process, but um, I've learned to kind of embrace that process because on a business side, it brings um, new entrant defensibility you know what we're building right now and what we're validating and all the studies that we're doing they're obviously necessary to get a marketing authorization from health canada and the fda and anyone else who wants to copy us will have to do the same thing so in that regard i've learned to embrace it uh, but it's a it's a very long process we have you know three phases of clinical trials to do Unfortunately, we'll have to do animal studies as well to validate the toxicity of our device. And I say unfortunately because, you know, it's somewhat, you know, unethical, I guess, to use animals, but it's a requirement from Health Canada and the FDA that we've tried to, we've tried to, um, to circumvent, but it's not possible. So uh, we'll have to do that. And then, yeah, this whole, this whole process will take uh, another two and a half years to three years, and then we'll get to actually market our product find it very interesting that, you know, you look at vape and you look at how easy they came onto the market and how there was zero control and you guys are doing something good with positive, uh, you know, a, a positive process and, and you're being, you know, highly regulated. Is that because you chose to go the medical route initially with it? If you had just chose to throw this onto the market, would it have made a difference? Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I look back in 2019, and uh, when we made the choice to, to become you know, a fully medical product, we were kind of a, at a crossroads where we could have commercialized it as a vape, you know, in every convenience store. But we didn't believe this was the right uh, way to do it. And I, I would lie if I was saying it wasn't a struggle in the last three years to kind of wait for the moment where you know, electronic cigarettes became heavily regulated. And now we're seeing actually that uh, we've made the right choice because those companies are, are you know, slowly falling. So, um, yeah, I guess it's it's starting to pay off. But it was a it was a long three years wait. Well, you got to hope at the end of the day that principle and 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 the goals and the objectives that you guys have and the values are actually what play out in the long term. And you know, I do believe ultimately at the end of the day that comes back to uh, that comes back to do you well. So you know, power to you to take the high road. Uh, we you. just hope it hope it doesn't take too much longer to get you there. <laughs> no, but uh, we'll uh, we'll get through it, even if it's long. We'll get through it. And Mike, usually we we do dig into the story. We've been so fascinated with the product. But real quick, uh, Laurent, where'd the idea come from? How'd you start? Yeah, it's uh came from a personal problem. I was addicted to vaping, so uh, you know, went to the pharmacy. Like it's it's kind of a funny story. Initially, went to the pharmacy and and uh, looked at uh, nicotine replacement therapies or any Nicorette product, and everywhere on the packaging was saying if you smoke, you know, twenty five cigarettes or more per day, take this dosage. If you smoke twenty five cigarettes or, uh, per day or less, take that. Uh, and I was like, wow, if if you know, I'm not clearly not alone. Who's addicted to vaping? What am I? What am I? Op- what are my options uh, to quit vaping if every product is really targeted towards smokers? That was the kind of the initial spark. 
But then you're starting reading scientific literature and realizing that actually smokers are massively using electronic cigarettes to quit. So what was kind of my problem was the hope of a smoker somewhere. Um, but then again, you know, researched the products and said, well, okay, it's, there's a lot of problems with electronic cigarettes that we need to fix. And uh, the, 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 um, the product evolved from uh, an idea to help people quit vaping to essentially helping the 1.3 billion people worldwide quit uh, smoking. Amazing. Laurent Laferriere, co-founder of the startup Ditch Labs. Laurent, hang on, please. We'll have your one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs coming up in a few minutes. And coming up next, Julie Cote, senior manager at FL. She's going to take a look at Canada-wide rules about property acquisitions, especially if you are from out of the country. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs, Mike, are from out of town. There are some new rules about people who are buying property and paying taxes on the property here in Montreal that people should uh, be aware of. Across Canada, actually, Julie Cote, senior manager at FL Full Orlando, here to uh, to go through some of those. Welcome back, Julie. Thank you for having me, Mike. Uh, the foreign ownership thing was very hot in the news, but those rules are are coming in. Yeah, and you know it, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of confusion and and uh, associated with all of this. So, Julie, I think part of the 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 job today is to you know debunk some of uh, the issues that are out there. So, what's the new tax measure that 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 everybody's talking about on on non-resident property ownership? So, actually, in the 2022 federal budget, they announced a multitude of housing measures to help Canadians. Among which was this two-year ban on foreign purchases. So foreigners purchase, purchasing property in Canada, certain types of residential property. So the bill C-19 got royal assent in June, which means it's a go. It's official. The ban is for 2023 and 2024 starting this January, and it will be renewable after December 31st, 2024 if needed. So they're going to decide on that later. Um, this measure, along with the other one that was uh, issued in 2022 about uh, underused property uh, owned by non-residents, um, is part of a lot of other measures. And it's meant to further discourage foreign speculation in Canada with, with regards to the housing market and to provide housing for Canadians whether they're buyers or renters, tenants. They're basically looking to take a little bit of the heat off of the market, uh, exactly. re replace uh, homeowners by locals. And uh, it's 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 to a little bit of a degree, I guess, it's playing God with the housing market. And, and there's understandable because the pressure has been out there for them. But this really does have a limited time frame, right? This is the, the bill as it was put forth is ending in the end of 2024. Yes. However, they included a clause that it could be renewed for another two years. So who, who, who the, the biggest effect on all of this, obviously, is foreign, foreign property owners. So where's the distinction in terms of foreign property owner versus somebody who's actually using it themselves? If they're coming so, to Canada for they live in, they, if they want to go to Whistler or they want to go to Tromblon, what does that look like? OK, OK, let's start. Let's backtrack and start with who will still be allowed to buy Canadian pro properties. So that's anyone who is a Canadian citizen living abroad, a permanent resident living abroad or here, or any people living in Canada under a work or a student permit, still valid. However, um, they made an exception for foreigners buying with their Canadian spouse. So if I'm buying with my husband, he's a Canadian, I'm not, we can buy 
co-own a property together. So we can, I can piggyback on, on him for that. That's the only exception for non-residents. This ban will also apply to foreign corporations and trusts, and also on foreign-controlled Canadian corporations. So if I have a Canadian, a Canada Inc., but it's controlled by a foreigner, the ban will apply to this purchase. Um, however, again, if someone signed a promise to purchase before December 31st, 2022, this transaction will go through, it will be honored, and these people will be able to close, let's say, in January, February 2023. Let's think about people who are buying brand new properties on plan that they signed two years ago and they're getting delivery in 2023 or 2024. So they made a clause in the, the ban that these people and even anyone, they have to make it broad, uh, anyone who signs a promise to purchase before December 31st will be able to close on their property. So we've gone through who's uh, who locally can buy. So what type of properties can foreigners still buy? So uh, the ban covers single dwellings, semi-detached home, townhouses, and duplexes. So anything bigger than that, triplex and up, foreigners will still be allowed to buy. And that will also include commercial properties, which is, brings me to all these vacation recreational properties. Uh, if they are commercial, they will be allowed to be purchased by foreigners. There's also a gray area right now, and they're talking about allowing foreigners to still purchase properties outside of urban areas, let's say Mont-Tremblant, but not for rental and not for commercial purposes. But we don't have any information on that. It's one line in the the documents. It, it's nothing. I guess we will see as 2023 rolls over. Julie Cote, Senior Manager at FL Fuller Landau. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dan. And as we come to the end of our show, let's turn to our entrepreneur, Laurent Laferriere of Ditch Labs, and ask him for his one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs. Laurent, what do you think? I think the advice that personally changed a lot uh, in my entrepreneurial journey is uh, someone who told me, be passionate about the problem, not the solution. Uh, because as a younger entrepreneur, so maybe 10 years ago, I had was very creative, had a bunch of ideas. Uh, but it's not really the way to launch a successful business thinking about ideas you need to be you need to open your antennas and look around you and, and find a very significant problem so successful entrepreneurs are able to create what society needs but doesn't know how to get at scale and i think this all starts with a very very clear problem and even though your first solution you know might be a good idea if you're so passionate about the problem, you're going to be able to pivot and find other solutions. And at the end of the day, you'll have the best you know, solution out there to, to, to solve that problem that you're looking to solve. Thanks, Laha. And Mike, optimizing the process of quitting smoking has got to be one of the best ideas we've we've discussed on the show. Yeah, it's interesting just because Laurent's uh, description of, uh, you know, that that one thing being passionate, you know, you, you recognize that it is about the journey at the end of the day, the entrepreneurial side, as it is the journey to, to quitting smoking. It is a process. It, it is getting there. And, you know, if you go back to the binary, you know, pass fail, you never go on to your next uh, your next alternative and from an entrepreneurial side. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between what you're what you're preaching and what you're living so congratulations 
Thank you very much. Laurent Lafayette of, of Ditch Labs. Thanks so much, Laurent. And a reminder, you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal as a podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcast. Next week, Mike, Lily Fortin, the second-generation CEO of the Canadian fashion retailing giant Tristan. We'll see you then. Production of TNKR Media.